Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 138 to stanzas 2 and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, right now we are experiencing fall weather. There are many signs of it. The leaves have turned color and have started to fall off the trees. Even though the weather can be quite nippy, especially in the morning, last week, as is also the case today, it was good to be outside. The weather has been quite favorable. Hopefully you were also able to spend some time outside to enjoy nature. But at certain times, especially as was the case last Friday, you will have seen the branches on the trees swaying back and forth, and the leaves being blown off the trees and debris flying around in the yard. Do you know how that happens? Perhaps you young children of the congregation know. Why do the branches of the trees move at certain times? Well, that's because of the wind, isn't it? That's obvious. There is not a person in the world who would disagree with you that it is the wind which causes the trees to sway and the leaves to be blown off the trees. You can notice the wind also in many other things. You can feel the wind in your face and feel the hair on your head being blown about. When the wind blows, then everybody notices. You especially notice the wind when it blows very hard, for then the wind can be quite destructive, especially when the wind turns into a hurricane or a tornado. But let me ask you, boys and girls, Have you ever seen the wind? What does the wind look like? You can see the moon and the stars at night. And during the day you can see the sun and the clouds. But what about the wind? You can't really see the wind, can you? Does that mean then that the wind doesn't exist? Of course not. That's a silly question. There is no doubt that the wind is there. Even though you are not able to see the wind, you are nevertheless very much aware of the wind's presence when it blows. Well, that's also the way it is with the Holy Spirit. The Bible often compares the Holy Spirit to the wind or to breath. That is what the Lord Jesus did in John 3 when he spoke to Nicodemus. For the Holy Spirit and the wind have many things in common. You cannot see the Holy Spirit either. No one has ever seen the Holy Spirit. Yet it is very obvious that if you observe around you that the Holy Spirit is real and that he exists. 
that's what the Lord's Day of this afternoon is all about. It is about the Holy Spirit, which is just like the wind. The Holy Spirit brings everything into motion. Without the Holy Spirit, there will be no movement here on earth. For without the Holy Spirit, there is no life. I will preach to you about the invisible yet noticeable power of the life-giving Spirit. And then we will see three things. We will see, first of all, that the Holy Spirit makes a life. Secondly, that the Holy Spirit makes me alive. And then finally, that the Holy Spirit makes the congregation alive. The Holy Spirit makes a life. That's what we read in Psalm 33, verse 6, where it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And in Psalm 104, verse 30, we read, When you sent your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. We also read in Genesis 1 that when the Lord God created, his spirit was hovering over the waters. That literally means brooding over the waters as a bird brooding over its eggs. The the Spirit refers here to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that gives life to everything. As I said, it is like the wind. That is why we read in Acts that a mighty wind accompanied the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we also read in Acts 8, verse 39, that Philip was caught up by the Spirit as by the wind. The words wind or breath are interchangeable here with the word Spirit. But that does not mean that the wind is exactly the same as the Spirit. Of course not. But that image of the wind is used in the Scriptures in order for us to get an understanding of how the Holy Spirit works. For what is wind? Wind is air in motion. It is air that is blown. And the air is full of oxygen. Oxygen gives life. And the wind blows life into everything. Think about a hot air balloon. Before there is any air in it, the whole balloon lies flat on the ground. It's lifeless. It just lies there. It's dead. It is nothing more than a wrinkly bunch of material. It really doesn't look like much. But as soon as hot air is blown into it, then it fills up. It becomes alive. And as the balloon billows out, there you can see it in all all its glory with its beautiful colors and letters on it. And the more hot air you blow into it, the more it fills out and the more alive that balloon becomes. Soon it even rises from the earth and it takes on a life of its own. As you hang in the basket underneath that hot air balloon, you can watch everything down below. You can see the people, the animals in the meadow, the birds in the air, even the fish in the water. You can also see the trees and the flowers and the plants. You name it. You see how alive everything is below you. But in reality, what are all these objects down below? Well, as it concerns the people and animals, they are nothing more than flesh and bones and sinews and scales and feathers, etc. And as it concerns the vegetation, they are nothing more than wood and stalks and petals and other kinds of organic material. 
All the living creatures and plant life are made up from material found here on the earth. On their own, they are nothing. They have no life in them. All these inanimate objects become alive only once God's Holy Spirit blows into them. Without the Spirit of God, all those things are nothing. They're dead, lifeless, motionless, and that includes us. But the Holy Spirit gives it life. The Holy Spirit is the oxygen of our existence. Without God's Holy Spirit, there is no life here on this earth. When the Lord God created man, he did so by the breath of his mouth. As it says in Genesis 2 verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. When God put life into, when God put air into the man, he became alive, showing the great beauty that God has dealt him with. For you see, before the fall into sin, man was a most beautiful creature. He is still a beautiful creature now, but nothing like he was before the fall into sin. When the Lord God breathed life into him, he displayed all the wonderful qualities that God gave to him. Man in a state of integrity was really something to behold. The same thing is true, of course, of the woman. God's breath makes all of us marvelous creatures. And that is because of the breath that he has put in us. And yet, we are so far just referring mostly to the physical life that God has given us. Physical life, of course, is important. But in the final analysis, what is physical life without spiritual life? Spiritual life is much more important. And there are only a select few who receive that spiritual life. Spiritual life is not given to the animals or to other living organisms. It is given only to man. And yet not every man receives that life-giving spirit either. Only a few select men are given the life-giving Holy Spirit for their spiritual life and their eternal life. As the Lord Jesus himself says, many are called, but few are chosen. His disciples were some of those blessed ones. That's what we read in John 20, verse 22, in the account just before his ascension. We read that at that time, the Lord Jesus breathed into the disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, what do you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? Do you then think of the Holy Spirit as some inanimate, impersonal, spiritual force? Do you think about the Holy Spirit that he is beyond us? That he is far away someplace? That the Holy Spirit has to do with things we don't understand? With things that are too deep for us? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the Holy Spirit is nearby. He is close at hand. He is near you. In Psalm 139, David asks, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It is a rhetorical question. And then through the Holy Spirit, he answers his own question. He says, if I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, 
you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Psalm 139. The Holy Spirit is present everywhere. And he is especially present here this afternoon because of God's word that is being explained and proclaimed. Although God's Holy Spirit is also active outside his word, God's word is never without his Holy Spirit. And when we read God's word, then we have access to his mind, to his thoughts, and to who he is as the almighty creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. Because in his word, he explains it all. And then you realize that he really does exist. Listen to what it says in Lord's Day 20. It says that the Holy Spirit is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. The Holy Spirit is God himself. Not some external force. You cannot divorce him from the Father or the Son. He is one of the three persons of the Trinity. According to Isaiah 63 verse 10, he is capable of grief. And according to Micah 2 verse 7, he is able to be patient. And Isaiah 40.13 tells us that he cannot be directed or instructed by people. He is his own person because he is God. As such he directs and leads his people and instructs them. And he is speaking to you alright. But you have to listen to him as well. You have to open up your heart to him. You have to realize that he is at work. He is at work right now. He is at work here. Although you may not be able to see him, you have to very much notice him in everything around you. For wherever there is life, there is the Spirit. And that is what the Holy Spirit does to you and me personally. He also makes you and me alive. And so when you think about the Holy Spirit of God, don't think about some impersonal power or some invisible force. Don't think about something without a body or about something impersonal. For you may say, well, you cannot have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. When you speak to him, he doesn't say anything in return. Is he really close by? Is he really accessible? Does he really speak to me? And the answer, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is yes, he does. And how does he do that? He does that through his word. He does that through nature. He does that by showing his presence to you in so many different ways. And he explains to you in his word how everything came into existence. And the Holy Spirit makes you aware of your surroundings. And how you are to give glory to God for everything. And then you also see him in nature. You see him in all things. And the wonderful thing is that he is given to you and to me personally. Let me ask you, do you feel him? Do you notice his presence? Satan wants you to be blind to him. He wants you to deny his existence. And that is why the Lord God especially gives his Holy Spirit to you personally. We come to the second point. For the catechism says that he is also given to me. Isn't that wonderful? The world around us is dead because of sin. Oh sure, as you look down from your hot air balloon above, you see the people and the animals moving. 
and you see the swaying of the branches of the trees and you see the growth of the trees and the grass and the flowers. But those living organisms, because of sin, will all end up being destroyed. They all have physical life now, but that will end. They will all die and turn to dust. Their physical life will cease to be. In Isaiah 40, verse 7 and following, the prophet, through the Holy Spirit, compares the people to grass, which one moment is alive and the next moment is dead. That is the physical life. When the living organisms of this earth die, then as far as God is concerned, they no longer exist. But that's not the way it is for his people. Listen to what Peter says in his first letter. He quotes the text from Isaiah 40 and says, Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that is preached to you. 1 Peter 1 verse 22 through chapter 2 verse 3. It is through the word which works together with the Holy Spirit, that you are made alive. You are made alive forever. You are made spiritually alive. You are made eternally alive. For when you are confronted with God's word, then you are made to realize who God is and that he really does exist. It is through his word that you notice him and that you stand in awe of him. Then you know that even though he may be invisible to you, he nevertheless is very visible in creation. He is visible everywhere. He is visible especially in your heart. For then you will also notice him in your heart. The Holy Spirit is not out there someplace, as I said earlier. No, he dwells within your heart. That is, if you let him. And then you, he will equip you to do the work to the glory of God. And then you also realize that whatever you do, that you have to do it to his glory. For you are accountable to no one else except God. But only the Holy Spirit can equip you for such a life. The people of the church in Corinth, in Corinth had questions about the Holy Spirit. They said, do we also have the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul says that he does not want them to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. He said that before they become Christians, they were led astray to mute idols. Isn't that the truth of mankind today as well? When you are not motivated by the Spirit of God, when you do not notice him, when you ignore him, then you are led away to serve the idols of this world. Then you seek after fame or money, or self-gratification. Then you seek things for yourself. And then only those things matter to you. But when you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, then you are controlled by the Spirit of God. Those new Christians in Corinth confessed that Jesus is Lord. They could do that only through the Holy Spirit, as Paul says. Oh, it is true that the name Jesus is taken up on, on many people's lips. But most people use that name as a curse. But our speech is 
tempered and controlled by the Holy Spirit. When you and I call upon the name of God, we can only do that through the Spirit, as Paul says. And the Holy Spirit also gives you gifts. That was true already in the Old Testament. We read about that in Exodus 31 verse 3 and 35 verse 31 where it says that skilled craftsmen were equipped by the Spirit of God to build the tabernacle and to use their talents to God's glory in this way. Time and again we also read that the Spirit prepares individuals such as Joshua and other leaders to guide God's people. Well, says Paul to Corinth, you too have been given gifts, all kinds of gifts. Different gifts, but they are all gifts of that same spirit. In spite of what they thought, those members of the church at Corinth were full of the Holy Spirit. For they were able to use the various talents to the glory of God. Many people think that when you are full of the Holy Spirit, then, that then you can do all kinds of fantastic things. And that then you can lead an exceptionally holy life. But that's not how the scriptures betray it. No, when you think of people who are full of the Holy Spirit, then you have to think about people who seek the Lord Jesus Christ in, and him crucified in their own broken and sinful lives. Then you have to think of people who quietly do the little things. Bring a meal to someone. Saying a kind word to someone who feels unloved. Then you have to think about people who are humble and who express their need for salvation. And then you have to think of people who acknowledge that they need the power of God to sustain them every day, to continue to breathe life into them, to be able to stand in the midst of the daily struggle against sin and the devil, and to be able to stand in their struggle against the wrongful desires of the flesh. Those who have the Spirit of God know themselves to be weak and vulnerable. They are especially those people who hang on to the one thing. Namely, that they know that they absolutely cannot do without God. And out of thankfulness they want to use whatever abilities and gifts they have to the glory of God. It all boils down to one thing. Namely, to the fulfillment of the law, which is love. Love which is shown first of all to God and then also to his people. For the kernel of all the Spirit's gifts and actions in believers is love, which, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, verse 30, is of the Spirit. According to Galatians 5, verse 22, love is also the first fruit of the Spirit. But the gifts of the Spirit, which has its center in love, are not given for the individual alone. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, for the common good of the whole church. We come to the third point. The greatest evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit is the building of the whole church, which, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, is united into one body by the power of the Holy Spirit. This body that Paul speaks about here is, of course, the body of Christ. It is the congregation. It is you and I together. And the Lord Jesus Christ says that he is the head of that body. He is our head. And he is the one who breathes life into the body through his spirit. And that body, he says, has many parts. Each one with its unique gifts. 
from what Paul says to the Corinthians, it is clear that the one gift is not any greater or any more important than the other. The one may be more noticeable than the other, but they are equal in importance. And we cannot do without these various parts. And so, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, whatever your gift may be, you have to use it to the glory of God. For they are God's gifts to you. To use. And therefore we have nothing to boast of either. And that is what Paul is reminding the Corinthians of. You see those Corinthians they were guilty of individualism. That is clear from what he says in this chapter just before. In dealing with the Lord's Supper. A lot of them were only concerned about their own well-being. And so they brought food and drink just for themselves. In this way there was a stark division between the rich and the poor. For the rich could come with elaborate meals, whereas the poor had next to nothing. And the rich people of the congregation were not sharing with them. And their individualism and selfishness was evident in many other respects as well. Paul started off this letter by stating that they were divided among themselves. And that some of them considered them to be of Paul, others of Cephas, or of Apollos, and again others of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to them that there may be no divisions among them. They all belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they all have their gifts from God the Holy Spirit. There are no exceptions. And everyone, he reminds them in this chapter, has something to share. Some have the gift of speaking or teaching. Others have the gift of listening. And again, others the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing, or the gift to serve, or the gift to help others, or the gift to organize things, or to lead, or to make music, or to pray. Just name it. It is the Holy Spirit who gives these gifts to them so that it can be used within the one body. Let me ask you, how are you using your gifts? Brothers and sisters, when you use your gifts in that way, no matter how small it is, and, now, and no matter how insignificant it may seem to you, then the congregation becomes alive, just like that balloon, that hot air balloon. And then you can also see the beauty of what God has made. For then you allow the Holy Spirit to, li- to breathe life into his body, into the church. When you allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, then he makes you alive personally and as a congregation. Ultimately, there is no life without the Holy Spirit. Nothing moves without him. And then even though you do not see the Holy Spirit, nevertheless, you do see him. You see him at work in your life. You see him at work in the church. He becomes noticeable. And then you stand in awe of what God has done, what he has done for you and for your fellow believers. Amen.